This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales, with Robin Mob, Robert Love, and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And back in the chair, sitting opposite Rob, it's me, Bob. Well, um, I, look, I'd like to maybe say that um, our break, uh, because we uh, we had a brief hiatus last week, was caused out of respect for uh, the 150-year commemoration of the real end of the American Civil War, which um, did not, of course, happen uh, in America, but um, yeah, in the on sea. The, on the deck of the Shenandoah oh. in, in the middle of the Pacific. Yes, yes. But, uh, in fact, uh, you were in India. So, yes, it wasn't so much a commemoration, but, um, but uh, you were overseas. Was the internet uh, not quite up to scratch in, in India? Oh, it, it had its moments, like, <laughs> like many things in India, shall we say. <laughs> But uh, yes, no, it was just a little bit difficult to do uh, to do a recording last week. Well, I, I did notice also because uh, you posted the pictures on Facebook that your your children um, uh, had photographs of them touching the top of the Taj Mahal through the magic of uh, perspective and and photography. Yes, and, not, uh, not the first people to have done that <laughs> trick shot, and definitely not the last. But yes, um, the other thing was. You know, I'm kind of scratching my head to think of some sort of angle I could have for uh, Shenandoah Down Under and me being in uh, Delhi and Agra, which are, you know, uh, hundreds of miles inland, very close to the Himalayas. So, well, because because we've managed to find some connection with all of your other travel. For instance, when you went when you went to America, of course, America is where the Civil War was. Yes. When when you went to um, Abu Dhabi, um, that was the, the pirate coast. The pirate so coast. we had a, we had a good talk about, um, and we also had a, a talk about. Um, that slavery in that part of the world had actually quite only recently in Zanzibar, I believe, had only recently been made uh, been made illegal. Yes. And and when you flew over Greenland, you got a fantastic picture of, um, of, of sea ice, which, um, which 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 made it to our Facebook page. So surely we can come up with some connection to the Shenandoah uh, for India. For India. <laughs> I wonder if there were any Indian crew. Um, I well, no, no, none has came. None has come up. Or no, not Indians from India, anyway. Yes, but, uh, well, that, that's exactly right. Well, I think the only connection that maybe we can come up with is that um, India quite possibly is a pace furthest away from it, on, <laughs> on, on the world, given that the Shenandoah circumnavigated the world, quite possibly India is the furthest place away from anywhere that the Shenandoah... They didn't get very close to India, I have to say. Yeah, yes. Yeah, one of, one of uh, not, not very many places. So where where is the Shenandoah now, Rob? Okay, well, um, the Shenandoah is, um, well... Uh, since it's two weeks, it is uh, two weeks further down into the Pacific on its way back to Liverpool. Yeah, in fact, they're just about at the equator. On uh, Today is August the 18th. Yes. And um, holding up to the microphone, as I do, uh, William Whittle's journal. He yes. was the first officer. He notes here that uh, sometime in the morning watch we cross the line and are again in the Southern Hemisphere. 
He says, oh, I wish we were just going into the Northern Hemisphere on the Atlantic side. Well, they've got quite a bit of a journey to go. I can say they've got exactly half the world to go. Half the world to go, trying to avoid Union warships, uh, avoid being hung as pirates, given that they uh, had done most of their depredations after the war ended. They've stowed their cannon and they're skulking back to Liverpool. Well, now, 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 when they, they crossed uh, the equator um, on the voyage out, um, there were, were japes and shenanigans and uh, King Neptune came up the side and uh, people had to you know, either get shaved or you know, drink coated a... Coated with tar. Co- coated with tar or drink a concoction of, I think, soap and molasses or something like that. So, so what did they do coming back um, after the war? Ended? Well, uh, if you take this journal as, uh, as read... Um, Bugger all. I think they're just too miserable and uh, an upset. Well, I, I guess there's also the circumstances, of course, because they crossed the line on the way out. Um, you only have the, the jolly japes and hijinks and, um, and, and uh, you know, making people drink disgusting stuff when they haven't crossed the line before. But presumably everybody now on the ship has, in fact, crossed the line. Yeah, so so true. there wouldn't be that much more to do. Now, um, I might just catch up to our um, emendations, uh, additions, uh, amendments, attributions... Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, um, because at the end of the, the last episode, um, our, our last entry for Mr Midshipman Mason had some some what, some what Latin tags and uh, what also... That was, by the way, the last and final entry. Yes, yes. In, there is no more uh, journal after that. He, he got so despondent on yes. the news. Although, now, now we, have, we have found, uh, we have got some excerpts from the journal of uh, Dr Lining, um, the the ship surgeon mm-hmm. and um, uh, which again we got from Sam Craghead at uh, the Museum of the Civil War in uh, Richmond, in, Virginia. Uh, in Virginia. Um, so we, we we get some some nice little quotations from that. Although um, um, Doctor Lining perhaps is not not quite as nice a nicer person as uh, Midshipman Mason. But as um, we will see, as we will see. Yes. Uh, but um, anyway, so at the end of the um, the last. Uh, the last episode, um, "Sick Transit Gloria Mundi" was one of the one of the tags. That, in fact, a Latin tag that um, poor Midshipman Mason. Uh, and he wasn't was, talking about some last that he left behind, was he? No, 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 no. "Sick Transit Gloria Mundi" means that this too shall pass. Oh dear! So at least at least he's being um, philosophical there. And um, they're all looking, looking at the bright side. You know, it's all good. It's, it'll get better eventually. Well, look, and it did, you know. Um, yeah, spoilers, it did. Uh, in the long run. And uh, then there were a couple of uh, French French tags. That I, I thought were Latin. They kind of looked a bit Latin-y. But um, qui sa volonté soit fait, which means that his will be done. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, now, funnily enough, when, when, you, when you put uh, qui sa volonté soit fait into, um, into Google, uh, it brings up a... An, Japanese anime from 2009 um, about uh, an expert in dating sims who is enjoined by a demon from hell uh, that he has to make real-life women who he despises fall in love with him because the cracks in women's hearts are where the lost souls hide. So I, I think that... Yeah, I think that is pretty. pretty, pretty I don't know what to say, <laughs> say to that, Rob. Okay, well, I don't, then, know, I don't know what Bishop and Mason would have said. Yeah, I, I, I think he would have thought, "Oh my goodness!" And uh, yeah, one more, uh, K do do noose guide. 
Um, it's got, good. You, it's good you've been doing all that practice on Duolingo at all these months, Rob. Well, otherwise, people would assume you didn't have a French accent. <laughs> well, see, because I know how to say bonjour. Okay, que Dieu nous guide 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 God guide us. Although, in fact, if you put that into um, Google Translate. You get we guide God, which you know what? I, oh, uh, <laughs> I, Mr. Midshipman Mason would not have said we guide God. I think he would have found that um, highly, highly impious. Yes. Um, now, now one one more sort of reprise that uh, I might do, um, and you know, if you think it's just a um, an excuse to get another quotation from Midshipman Mason, in, well, I don't care. Um, but when uh, they discovered that um, they had been labelled as pirates in San Francisco. Um, Mr. Midshipman Mason, and I'll uh, reprise very quickly here. When, when they found out that um, they were possibly going to be um, hung as pirates if they were caught by the Yankees, uh, if the worst comes to the worst, however, I think I could hang as gracefully as any other man, though I must confess that the idea is unpleasant, and when I think of it, I feel a sort of choking sensation. Oh, well, now, now we we. We were thinking when we read this bit uh, during our last episode that um, wasn't Midshipman Mason one of the people who had a, a long talk with the Hanging Doctor uh, back in Melbourne Town? And uh, so I, I, I've dug back through uh, yes. Midshipman Mason's journal. A very and, unnerving conversation. This was at the Q Lunatic Asylum, I believe. Ah, uh, well, look, he, he met that doctor again at the Q Lunatic Asylum, but I think um, he actually had a previous conversation with him uh, at, the at, at the Melbourne Club. Club. Ah, ah right, so, yes. so, so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go back to... Uh, Midshipman Mason's uh, entry from, uh, I believe, February the 3rd, 1865. The gentleman on my right was a Dr. B, a jolly old fellow who was very kind and polite, and invited me to go with him to visit the lunatic asylum in the suburbs of Melbourne. It seemed that he is one of the inspectors or something of that sort. Old Sawbones, comma, pills, seemed to be entirely wrapped up in his profession and entertained me during the whole of the dinner with a dissertation about hanging, how the cord should be adjusted. He contended that instead of placing the knot behind the ear, as is usually the custom, it should be just behind the neck, immediately upon the neck bone, where the fall would snap the neck off and thus produce instantaneous death, whereas with the old custom of placing the knot behind the ear, always five or sometimes ten minutes was required to produce death. Dr. B told me that he had been allowed, when last in England, to make experiments on this theory upon condemned criminals. You know what, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that uh, experiments of that nature would pass the ethics committee these days. I, I wonder, you know, if, if, if... I just wonder what the control group placebo <laughs> was. <laughs> Oh dear! And he he never had a death under five minutes with the old system, but with his own plan, instant death always ensued. So much for hanging. I listened very attentively to the doctor's conversation for politeness' sake, and I believe it was about as interesting as any other we could hit on hit upon. And the sum total of it all is that if I'm ever to be hung, I shall beg the executioner to put the knot behind my neck. And there I think go. I think that has preyed on poor yes. well, Mason's how, mind. How would it not? I, I think it'll prey on my mind. I think I'll have to say yes. But, yes. The, but the difference is, you're not actually at risk of being <laughs> hanged as a pirate, Rob. Whereas he's got to sail all the way back to Liverpool, thinking if they catch us, it's the yard arm for us, and he's going to have to make that special request. Please put the knot behind my neck. <laughs> 
Oh, oh dear me. Dear. Yeah. Well, uh, well. Uh, look again. I mean, sorry. This is a serious subject, but um, uh, I believe, for instance, one of the uh, one of the people who um, uh, was um, condemned for the um, as a conspirator for the assassination of Lincoln, mm-hmm. um, I believe they especially went the opposite way and um, made the knot as as loose as possible. So he took about half an hour to die. Oh is, dear, yeah. Because you know, if you if you kill the president, uh, this this will happen to you. Yes. Um, now, now I'm just trying to think. It was. Do you know the name of uh, that uh, that conspirator? The one that uh, dangled for a long time. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it was either David Herald was one of them, and I think the other one was Lewis Powell. They were yes. the two that I think. Uh, Obviously, had the knot tied under their chins. I do know that when they were practicing, yes, for they did indeed practice the uh, the hanging. They were using uh, bags filled with buckshot and and testing out to see how it would work. But obviously, it worked for some, but it didn't for other. Uh, Mary Surratt, who was the woman that was hanged, yes, she, she, her her neck snapped like a twig, apparently. <laughs> but uh, the. Uh, the other, two of the other, men, not so much. Two of the men dangled there for, for some time. Uh, Lewis Powell was the one that, uh, the assassin who was meant to kill William Seward and actually did stab him uh, oh, okay. when he came to his front door. Whereas I, I think the um, uh, the other one who was meant to kill the, the vice president, just, he was the one who got drunk, wasn't and he? bottled out. And, and, and liter- quite literally bottled out. And I think, you know... <laughs> You gotta get hug anyway. No. Um, but that is that is why, in fact, uh, Mr. Mason and the the other crew members on board the Shenandoah are so apprehensive at the moment because there is a very very uh, febrile atmosphere going on following the assassination of Lincoln, and people are out for revenge and so on. And these guys are to the minds of many pirates that have been committing atrocious acts particularly after the end of hostilities, and that's why there's this, this great concern on their part. Oh, dear. There's one more slightly macabre thing I want to say about Lewis Powell, which is I first came across the Lewis Powell story in, I think, a website or perhaps a Tumblr called My 19th Century Boyfriend, which is dedicated to hunks of history. And oh, photographs, I assume. Photographs, yes, because my 19th century boyfriend... Um, and if you have a look at Lewis Powell on Wikipedia, I'm almost certain it was him because he, he does look rather. Is this uh, the picture of him in the manacles yes. by leaning on against the turret of a monitor? Exactly. Yes, and he, he certainly does look. Uh, it has to be said, rather good looking. And also, but before he was being hung, he he many times said that um, that um, was it Mary Surratt, the woman, uh, that that she was not guilty and that should she should be spared. So at, at, at the yeah, nothing became him uh, of his life so well as his leaving of it to utterly mangle uh, Charles Dickens. Yes. But <laughs> Interestingly, um, they kept the assassins on board warships, on board monitors, um, so that they couldn't escape or be rescued, I, I assume. Well, I, I think that that's a pretty good way of doing it. Yes, if you've got it on your uh, your, your biggest ironclad, they're, they're not going to be sprung out of jail. Yes, and they were completely uh, manacled and had the ball and chain and things. And I do know that uh, Powell, very cleverly perhaps, uh, had a a way of convincing them to take the ball off at least. And that is that he kept wandering around with it above his head. 
Um, and I think they were worried he was going to kill himself. And there'd be two ways I can imagine. One is you could just drop it on your head. The other is you're on board a ship. Yes, you, you could just throw, throw yourself overboard and you'd, you'd sink, sink right like to the bottom. Stone. So they um, or, they took the ball off. Or sink like a sphere of iron. <laughs> yes. So they, they, they took the ball off so that uh, at least that would have made it slightly more comfortable, I think. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I think this is perhaps quite enough about hanging for, for <laughs> one episode or indeed perhaps one entire series of Shenandoah Down Under. So um, we, we might move on. Now, um, uh, look, I'm, I'm sure poor old uh, Mr Whittle is, is very, very depressed. Uh, have, we, have we got a quote from him being very depressed? Well, uh, where do you start? <laughs> Basically, every one of his entries uh, shows oh, just how un- unhappy they are. We're all wonderfully blue, he describes in, yeah, uh, in, yeah. in one of them. Oh, God, give me the power to look up to thee and with Christian resignation say, thy will be done. I think, you know, they're railing at the unfairness of it all. His spirits are, are bad. Uh, and, of course, he's reading his darling Patty's letters again, but pretty much uh, the entries are quite short for, yes, uh, yeah, for this period. I think they're just... Wondering what to do next and feeling very sad about it. Well, yes, you know, uh, uh, yeah, as from that quote from from uh, from from Whittle from earlier, yes, you, you just feel like you want to just fast forward half the world and uh, and get it all over yes. with. But um, now, um, so again, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, I was going to have a look at uh, the the diary of uh, Surgeon Lining, who mm-hmm. was uh, um, another of the seemingly, seemingly many many officers aboard the. Uh, the Shenandoah, who left some some record of the voyage. Um, so I might just uh, start with uh, where we are on um, on August the the seventeenth, and then do a couple of uh, yeah greatest hits of uh, of surgeon linings from uh, yeah the, the previous two or three months. Okay. Thursday, August the seventeenth, eighteen sixty five. Working at navigation most of the morning, but don't make much progress. And um, Doctor Lining had decided to to learn how to use a sextant, um, but. Um, I think probably, you know, not not having much luck with it. In the afternoon, Dr. McNulty must go and get intoxicated, much to the edification of all the men, etc. Captain stopped the pennyworth of the steerage officers on account of someone down there having given him the liquor to get drunk on. A pretty state of affairs. So the the captain stopped everybody's grog down in steerage. Oh, no. Uh, all, all assuming, except I, I imagine uh, Midshipman Mason, who has the key to the liquor cabinet, <laughs> and so he could get as much as he wants. Although, as we know, of course, he is not a hard tosser. But oh dear, poor old uh, assistant surgeon McDulty, because of course, uh, yes, going back, and we've mentioned this several times, uh, he was the one who uh, Mr. Mason had to be sent into the wilds of Williamstown to retrieve from the dark yes. from the sailors' bars when they were just about to uh, to leave to leave Australia. Maybe it would have been better if they if they'd left him there. But uh, anyway, and there are some. Um, uh, oh, now we, we might skip just a little bit ahead, but this is Sunday, August the twentieth, eighteen sixty-five. A fine, pleasant day, not squally, and we are going on finely, making a fine run. Captain called me into the cabin and asked me if I could dispense with the services of Dr. McNulty as he would get drunk on every occasion. <laughs> I told him that I could get on without him perfectly. He did not tell me what he intended to do with him, but he did not make his appearance today. Um, well, I don't know that they could do all that much with him. In the middle I'm, of the Pacific. And really, I, I, look, I, I think probably an assistant Scottish surgeon 
must have to get very, very... Into- Sorry, can I just say, I, I have a Scottish background, so I, I, I speak of what I know, but yes, an assistant surgeon must have to get incredibly intoxicated for that to be a... Uh, every, every day, though, every time. Yes. Oh, yes. dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Okay, so that is, uh, that is where uh, Dr. Lining is up to um, August the 17th. And since this is uh, the, the first appearance of uh, Dr. Lining's diary in this podcast, I, I thought I'd look back a little bit. And uh, we got some very good value over the, the months of um, um, Midshipman Mason's book club. Because, of we course, did. Midshipman Mason was reading his way through almost the entirety of the works of Charles Dickens. And, and then he got on to Lay's Mears. So he was, he was extremely well read. So I, I had a look, little, little look back through, uh, through the entries for, for Surgeon Lining to see if, if he was doing some, uh, some good reading too. And, uh, I did find one, but I, I don't think there's going to be quite the, uh, quite the quality. But, Do tell. Um, okay. Sunday, July 9th, 1865. Have had the blues most of the day. Gee, these guys are having they're the blues a lot. Unhappy. Yeah, yeah, yes. they, they are. And, and this... they're drowning their sorrows too. <laughs> but had the blues most of the day because I can't help thinking of those at home and what will become of them all. Last night, while reading the Deer Slayer, I was carried away to the green country and I actually forgot that I was on board of a ship. Now, um, of course, I had a look up. Uh, Look up the Deer Slayer, mm-hmm. and um, the Deer Slayer is one of the Natty Bumpo books. I, I think they had a different way of naming heroes back in the nineteenth century. Because I'm thinking, if, you, if you're going along to, to pitch your your western these days, when you, as soon as you say your hero is called Natty Bumpo, they would probably uh, yeah uh, <laughs> tell you to try again. But um, I'm trying to think of something to riff off that, but I can't because <laughs> it's just such a weird name. Well, yes, yeah, so, so, okay, so, and uh, The Deer Slayer is a prequel. I just that? can't imagine, like, for example, um, you know, if it's a Western, you can't imagine Clint Eastwood coming in in his poncho and saying, well, it, I'm not the man with no name, my name is Natty Bumpo. <laughs> Although you should be, because, in fact, Natty Bumpo was played by Daniel Day-Lewis in The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, okay, so we're actually going back a little bit earlier then, aren't we, than... than, than um... The Man With No Name and Spaghetti Westerns, then, if it's The Last of the Mohicans. Yes, yeah, yeah. So this this is basically, yes, it's not set... Yeah, it is. Well, as a Western, um, these books are set in the wilderness of upstate New York. Oh, OK, so it's an Eastern. <laughs> well, yes, except it, I, 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 look, I believe they are set in the, the 18th century. Yes. And um, so when there well, were still... If it's, if it's the same as The Last of the Mohicans, for example, then yes. Yes, yeah. And of course, Daniel Day Lewis playing Natty Bumpo in The Last of the Mohicans. He also played Lincoln, of course, in Lincoln. He did. Because it, everything is connected. It's spooky. But um, anyway, so, so um, the Natty Bumpo novels. Um, so the Deer Slayer was um, the first chronologically. So it was basically a prequel that mm-hmm. um, uh, James Fenimore Cooper uh, wrote later, probably after The Last of the Mohicans was such. Such a great success that Daniel Day Lewis played the character 150 years later, and I was pleased that that was the one where um, Daniel Day Lewis actually became Natty Bumpo, didn't he? He, he like lived outdoors for months and, and didn't wash for for months either, and he learned how to shoot a, a smoothbore musket. Yes, yes. So, um, but anyway, so Natty Bumpo is is a, a a fine hero because 
Um, he believes that every living thing, and I'm, I'm quoting Wikipedia here, should follow the gifts of its nature, which would keep European Americans from taking scalps. So basically, um, Natty Bumpo does not believe that you... While he's a, a great shot with a smoothbore musket, he doesn't believe that you could just take the scalps off Indians you know, just, just because you feel like it. Now... While these Natty Bumpo books were massive successes, I, I don't think there are any indication that um, uh, Dr. Lining is going to be any rival for Midshipman Mason because uh, in the criticism part of uh, the, the Deer Slayer's entry on Wikipedia, um, the brunt of Mark Twain's satire and criticism of Cooper's writing, Finnemore Cooper's literary offences, fell on the Deer Slayer and the Pathfinder, Twain wrote at the beginning of the essay, In one place in Deerslayer and in the restricted space of two-thirds of a page, Cooper has scored 114 offences against literary art out of a possible 115. <laughs> I wonder, what is, did he have good punctuation? I mean, I'd like to know what the, what the one he did was good. It breaks a record. He then lists 18 out of 19 rules governing literary art in domain of romantic fiction that Cooper violates in the Deus in the Deus layer. I might I might look up that uh, entry. In Carl Van Doren's view, the book is essentially a romance, at the same time considerably realistic. The dialect is careful, the woodcraft generally sound, which is probably why um Trajan Lining him is back transporting to him back green. to back back to the green the green sword. So um so yes um, that, that I will look through and see if there's any more literary references. But the, and uh, there is also um, a on 28th of June 1865, which was the day that um, uh, the Shenandoah sank. Ten, ten. That uh, was their best day. That was their best day. Uh, there's, there's a very interesting um, and quite lively description by Dr. Lining of uh, those events. But uh, we, we might save that for another day because we we are coming to the to the end of our of our yeah. Post hiatus episode of this is uh, our forty second episode, oh, I believe. Forty seven. Although I think we look, we we don't want to gloss over the uh, the somewhat interesting things that uh, people said uh, back in those period and uh, by interesting um, politically incorrect. Political. Well, the, uh, yes. And, and, uh, yeah. Although when you say politically in- incorrect, you often tend to be insinuating that you, um, um, you know. Okay, shall I just say downright racist? Yeah, yeah. Let's just say downright racist, and we do not, and we do not agree with this. But um, so Wednesday, June fourteenth, eighteen sixty-five, had to examine some men who wanted to ship all of these air quotes Kanakas, and I rejected two out of eight of them. I do hate to see our ship's company filled up with such men as these. For won't we look beautiful with going into port with a crew made up of such people? Atmosphere so clear, can see much further. Looked like twenty miles, but it's sixty. Um, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what he means by that. Oh, that, that, I do. That the, that the native Hawaiians. He he doesn't feel that they're. The, well, I I have to say, I think they should have thought of that before they, you know, <laughs> before they recruited probably the most racially diverse uh, unit in the entire Confederacy. And yes, it's too late to worry about that. I now. think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, um, I think we're going to wind up today's episode, Rob. We've got oh, lots more. Oh, sorry, from... can, can, I, can I just give one more, which is just on on that page? Yes. Thursday, June the fifteenth, eighteen sixty-five. Running out of the Ocot Sea, I did always think I'm actually learning how to say Ocot. You are. You're doing well. Uh, and along the coast, out about twenty miles, had a long 
chat with old Chu, who proved to be much stranger than I thought he was. I, I think we're just going to have to leave that to history. He'll probably never say exactly why. Of course, old Chu was the one who, uh, who who gave up drugs to go to sea. So, so maybe maybe uh, maybe he had a lord of the habit. Um, but uh, so I just that was just on the page, so I just bring it up. But well, once again. Um, Oh, we'll have we'll have more from uh, Surgeon Lighting next week. Yes, yes, and um, yeah, more um, politically correct <laughs> and, and uh, enigmatic comments. Oh dear! Well, but, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know that they were all that enigmatic, to be to be quite frank. And uh, now again, um, we will. Um, there was a um, again uh, a memoir written. Um, oh, I think it was by by Grimball, um, mm-hmm. which um, I also have a copy of, and I'll, I'll have a look into that. And we should probably start revisiting some of our secondary um, secondary texts and and get some guests in. So um, yeah, there's still months to go before the Shenandoah 150 years ago docked back. Makes it uh, somewhat less than triumphant return to Liverpool. <laughs> well, although they did surprise everybody, they, they did surprise indeed. Everybody. Not but, as much as if they'd um, actually gone and attempted to take San Francisco oh, look, look, three months oh, after the war ended. That's a historical what if we'll have to there, explore there, there's, there's a in par- a future episode. There's a parallel world novel there just just, just <laughs> waiting to be explored. No doubt starring Daniel Day Lewis as Captain <laughs> Waddell. I, I think that I think that would that, that would just bring everything together. It but, but until everything is brought together, this has been the forty second episode of Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I was Rob. And I am still Bob. <laughs> okay. Tally ho. And ahoy.